Welcome back to the Untangled Podcast, where we explore how plausible and obscure alternative reality really is. In today's episode, we turn head-on into the prevailing scientific consensus and choose to look at the linear route by exploring the legendary Flat Earth Theory. As the name suggests, a bunch of people adamantly believe the Earth is not a globe, but instead a flat, stationary plane surrounded by impenetrable ice walls. But, as we'll explore today, do we believe this hypothesis? Before we get into it, don't forget to like and subscribe. Less than 10% of listeners are subscribed to our accounts, and it only takes a second to do so. We appreciate any support. Thanks. Welcome, everybody. Back to you. I think this is now the 12th episode we're doing of this podcast on this beautiful earth of ours. I'm Simon, as always, and I'm joined by two great friends of mine. First off, my co-host, Han. You want to introduce yourself, as always. Hi, guys. Uh, yeah, still the same guy. Don't have many more introductions than Simon does, so uh, on to our guest. Oh, wow. I was going to ask you how your week was, Han, but I uh, will skip that I now. Uh, I, I will not talk about my week. <laughs> it's been bad. Thesis stress is terrible, so uh, let's let's continue to something more fun. Daniel, how are you doing? Who has it, my friend? Hey. Hello. Um, yeah. Uh, thanks. For, thanks for the welcome. Um, as Han already gave it away, my name is Daniel, and um, I uh, met Han. I would say it was eleven minutes ago. So I feel we formed a deep bond. Um, and I met Simon. Uh, feels like many, many years ago now. But I only heard about his podcast recently, and I'm quite excited to be a guest uh, today. But, but how's life been for you, Dan? Because I, I understand you're back in the beautiful Green Isles of Ireland, which I see so beautiful in the window behind you. <laughs> Wonderful. Yes, indeed. A, a magnificent island it is. Yeah, my, my accent probably uh, gave the game away um, already. But yes, I am back in the wonderful city of Cork and the wonderful city of Ireland, our wonderful country of Ireland, I should say. And uh, that's yeah, my current situation, just uh, chilling, applying for jobs. Um I uh, last saw you in Brussels. We had a brief overlap there when I was doing a, a traineeship, um, Simon. Yeah. But uh, yeah, back home for the time being. Me and my mother just hanging out, you know, just chilling. And um, sometime soon, I should be back in Brussels. But uh, somebody does need to employ me. So if anyone listening to this podcast works in HR or recruitment, <laughs> then, uh, you know, hit me up and um, get me get me reunited with Simon. That's all I'd say. <laughs> I will put a warning out here, or to the audience, D- Daniel does not know the topic of this podcast yet. So you've clicked on this podcast and seen somebody hoping to have work. So I don't know if this is going to be the most fruitful avenue for you here. <laughs> but well, You never know. you gotta, you got to let out your lines wherever you can you can put them, you know? just gotta got to be opportunistic. Mm-hmm. I dig it. I dig it. Should we start off with a bit of a warm-up question, so to say? So I never like starting with this question because it kind of presupposes something about what we're going to be talking about. But, uh, you know, Han, Dan, what is the stupidest thing you used to believe as a child? Well, that's like, oh, oh, actually, I know, I know. So as a kid, I wanted to be a banker. So this was when I was five, six years old. Do you know why I wanted to be a banker? I have no idea. It's because I read a lot of Donald Duck and I really, really thought, that a banker could just have this giant pile of money right there and you can just go in and swim in it. And that's why I wanted to be a banker. So that's, that's my, that's the stupidest thing I thought probably. 
Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, it's a nice vision. It says a lot about your perspective. That's pretty, in my that's pretty stupid. <laughs> I, I, I thought you were going to say, yeah, that is pretty stupid, which, uh, fair enough. No, yeah. this is a very supportive podcast. Yeah, no, I support your ambitions to become tremendously wealthy, Han, because then I support, then I expect you to start paying the bills for this podcast, right? <laughs> oh my God. Well, you got to wait a bit longer, man. I mean, I'm not going to be a banker. I'm not going to get all the money in the bank, so... What about you, Dan, or should I go first? Um, yeah, the first thing I thought of is like when I was a kid, like thinking that like my, my dad had like some kind of magical powers when it came to like summoning things. So probably yeah, similar age to hand, like five or six. I remember, you know, I used to collect like uh, like Premier League, like soccer, like stickers. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, my dad would come in from work and would like get me to like close my eyes and then would like summon up. You know, packs of stickers, and I mean, you know, my eyes were closed, so they're, they're, he clearly had a little bit of a an advantage. Um, but yeah, I, I I feel like after after a while, I would kind of ask him like unprompted for stickers, <laughs> and he would try to like come up with excuses. You know, like I guess like asking magician just like out of the blue for a trick, and they don't have anything with them, and they're kind of like, oh, just come back another time. That was kind of it. So, um, yeah, I feel like thinking my dad could just like summon up Premier League stickers on cue um, was was pretty foolish of me. One of my siblings had a similar thing where we grew up on a flower farm, right? And we had some uh, chew-ups or something uh, by the by like our path to go inside. And my, my sibling was like two or three at a time. He was convinced that my father would go out every night and turn and like close the flowers at night then open them in the morning each one of them and he would also like turn on and off the light outside because he would always be the last one coming inside but uh, I, I love the fact that the, the thread here is that kids can can one not accept that something just happens automatically there's got to be a person behind it someone's doing this and two that your parents are literally gods like they can do whatever yeah i mean basically our our entire children are like pay no attention to the man behind the curtain you know <laughs> That's exactly. Like, yeah. Someone's doing the puppet show behind <laughs> it. And then you find out the puppet show is actually that exactly that. And then you're extremely disappointed. And that's when puberty starts. Yeah. Well, it's also, I always wanted to also say it, it's just a bit. Sometimes there's an easier answer in your mind that still explains how the world works. And what's wrong with, you know, believing that easier answer for a while? Right? Absolutely. So let's transition it to the topic at hand today. And. Dan, Daniel, what do you think about this world we live on? Have you ever looked outside beyond the meadows and seen the nice curves of, let's say, the hills? <laughs> uh, well, th th there, there are no more meadows around here where I live, you know. There used to be meadows behind my house, but as, you know, old people would say, oh, I used to be all fields and now so I mean so you have an un you know you have an un you have like a clear view of kilometers and kilometers. I I I, I, I wish I did, but for yeah, for the purpose of this podcast, yes, the the undulating meadows of Ireland are performing. And you can see kilometers flat in one direction. Yeah, just like a salt plane. It's amazing. Linear, yeah. perfect. Yeah. And that's how you view the world, right? A nice non-globular world yeah i mean it's just like lay it in front of me like a dinner plate 
Perfect. Because, yeah. I mean, I'm glad to have some support here in this podcast, Dan. Because uh, we're going to be talking a little here today about one of Han's favorite theories, which is called Flat Earth. You might have heard of it. It's um, it, it, it's come across uh, my, my inbox, you know, every once in a while, my in-tray. Um, so, so, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, personally, I've never been, I've never taken a deep, deep dive into it because I always thought it was a bit too ludicrous. But I know, Han, you, you've always been a bit more intrigued by it yourself not not a supporter in any sense but where did your fascination start well honestly i read a few like a few discworld books which i just really liked <laughs> and honestly for me the idea of a flat world just really appeals i don't know why it's just cool the idea of the end of the world and there's just this giant edge or something of which you can fall off it just speaks to the imagination i feel Whereas a round ball just shooting, hurling through space is, is much less imaginative for me. But maybe that's why my fantastical uh, imagination uh, preferring something else. I guess what's cooler, a cannonball being shot through space or a frisbee just being <laughs> flung <laughs> gently through yeah. the cosmos. Yeah. Well, I mean, most theories believe it's just stationary and geocentric, but oh, who so knows? Just, okay, so just a, a stationary frisbee. I guess it's it's a bit less exotic in that sense, but I wouldn't want to be spinning for all my life, you know. I want to be sitting. Well, we are. That's a thing. Why don't we fall off the earth? It should spin us off, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah, but uh, to to give a quick overview to the listeners who might not have heard of flat Earth, it's um, if you've ever learned in school that we live on a globular-sized planet. Instead, the flat Earthers say it is flat. Instead, exactly how it looks, flat in all directions. And that's basically the whole premise of the theory. Um, and they just say that, you know, your own senses and observations and perceptions, they, you know, they overart, they override what all these corrupt scientists and engineers and learned learned peoples of the world believe. And I mean, some parts of it are relatively modern, but some go back to, you know, the ancient times. So today we'll be taking a quick little gander at the history of Flat Earth and the debate about how Flat Earth came to be and then a bit of what modern flat earthers believe. But I will preface it to the listeners that I'm going to be focusing much more on the cool little historical tangents. So if you've come here to listen to me talk about discs and you know planes for like hours, this might not be the perfect podcast. But if you want to hear some really unique facts and really weird things about the you know founders of this line of thought, stick around is all I'd say. And before we always get started, I always like to ask my guests, how much they believe this theory at the outset. So, you know, Han, do you want to kick this off? Uh, do you want to give this a nice little rating? One out of 10, I believe. One, no, no belief at all. And 10, you are the oh. least globular headed person <laughs> in this room. I mean, the problem with it is I really want to believe it, but I really don't. <laughs> I really want to, though. I wish I could. I wish I could summon that. that peace of mind, that clarity to just believe this and discard all the things I've learned about it. But I'm going to have to go with the one. But I want to believe. I really want to believe. But I just can't. But surely, you must believe. Maybe there's a paradox or two. Maybe there's something you'd struggle with. Or still a one. It's just... I don't know. I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with the one. But the, the good part is that this gives you a lot more wiggle room. <laughs> Yes, because I always end up convincing people. (laughs) (laughs) Daniel, where do you stand on this? 
I, I, I'm sadly a fellow one. Um, I'm, I'm a fellow <laughs> non-believer like Han. I mean, Han clearly has more, um, you know, more, more research done into this and more like enthusiasm. Um, but um, yeah, just for me, me as a, as a lay person, even I will just um, yeah, I, I, I'll go for for a solid yet uninspiring one. But again, wiggle room. To, to repeat the phrase and um, just give us your best shot, Simon. Of course, I'll, I'll, I'll make a go at it, you know. Go get him, Tiger. <laughs> wow. But I, I was also just surprised doing all this research and stuff. There were like one or two points where I seriously like, they might have a point here. And I, I really caught myself and like, no, no, I, I have a master's degree in something in life. I, I, I cannot be slipping into this. I want to maintain this, this the, the good stature of the light and university, you know. But uh, there are a few things that make you, you think once or twice. Okay, so I want to start really quick by going to, you know, the beginning of not time, but the beginning of thought about the world. Because people used to think, as far as I can see, the world is flat. So therefore, it must be flat. Good logic. Would you believe this logic? Occam's razor. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Simplest explanation. Yeah. I mean, solipsism. Just like what whatever I see is kind of all, all that there is. Um. So so yeah. It... I mean, one of the things I would always say to people who are more skeptical of this, as I mean, you probably have a right to be, is if you lived before like one thousand, like after Christ, you would probably be a flat earther, and you would be ostracized for not being one. So I don't. It just shows that thoughts really change over time. But the beginning of where they started to change was um, in ancient Greece, this beautiful man named Pythagoras was the first who claimed that the earth was not flat. However, it was more of a theory than actual, you know, scientific proof behind it. But, you know, he was a, one of the first globe heads, as we like to call him. J judging by this picture, did he argue it was actually triangular first? I don't know. No, it's because he was more known for it's like Pythagorean theorem, right? Fair enough. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, he's holding up a nice triangle to our listeners, but he has a globe in the background. I think that was his other contribution. <laughs> that's, so, that's what you're referring to, all right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> no. But then a bunch of other philosophers jumped on the train. I think Plato was uh, into it for a little while, Socrates as well, a few others. And then this beautiful guy with the globular head. I mean, <laughs> describe that, Han. <laughs> uh, he does have a very round head, I agree. It's very nice, nice dome. It's well, very fitting. Well, you know, it reminds me of the story of uh, Aeschylus, the great uh, Greek playwright and writer of tragedies, um, who allegedly died when um, uh, a bird mistook his bald, you know, yeah. um, his big bald head for a rock and dropped a, a, a like a, a, a tortoise on it, I believe, yes, and uh, yes. and killed him somewhere in Sicily way back when. So the, the head, the head, right now we see on the screen. I, I could also imagine a bird mistaking that uh, for a lovely rock. <laughs> that was a exactly. very, very nice noggin. Yeah. Absolutely. I love that fact, though. It's yeah. one of my favorite, like, Such... deaths. Uh, but anyways, this man, uh, he is not the one you mentioned. He is Arist... My, my ancient Greek is terrible, but uh, Aristophanes or whatever. And he, he made up some kind of experiment to, like, prove to Earl the world was round, where he dug a hole in, uh, like, uh, in Greece or somewhere, and then he had a post in Alexandria and like from if, at the same time of the day, if it was like all straight, he could kind of see like the sun was like curving in Alexandria. And he's like, yo, this means we're on a, you know, on a globe. But it is still just a Greek guy digging a hole. Exactly. It's nothing that exotic yeah. to it. So, so wait, so, so he had, he had two separate holes, one in Greece and one in Egypt. 
Yeah. And, and he would travel between the two and like note the differences between them at, at the same time. Yeah, because, I mean, the Earth is big, but not big enough that it doesn't curve eventually, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's commitment. Also, like, maintaining mm. holes in separate countries. Like, I, I would always be worried that, like, someone was fucking with my hole in, you know, back in Alexandria while I was chilling in Greece. I yeah. mean, if you just saw a stick in the ground, like, as a passerby, I, you, know, you might just go, oh, free stick. Don't touch that stick. Exactly. They're, they're, they're proving the world isn't flat here. <laughs> it's like so, experiment happening, you know? Then somebody, then you come back and suddenly, suddenly someone took a dump in it. It's yeah, just all yeah. the ground. Why wouldn't they? Yeah, I mean, they, they, they can't read. They, they, they could read the science, exactly. science of progress. But it's not their fault. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even past the ancient Greeks, a lot of societies continue to believe it, um, not even like a Western-based one. So I, I think uh, Hindu societies believed the Earth was flat for a very long time. The Chinese officially believed the world was flat until the mid-1700s, which was uh, remarkably long, actually. Um, but, uh, you know, in the West... Around around 1,000, 1,400, around those years, uh, scientific consensus began to point out that, you know, the Earth wasn't completely flat. There was no, like, exact turning point, as most science has demonstrated, but, like, Copernicus was a really big figure in this, where he proposed his heliocentric uh, version of the solar system. Um, Galileo helped support this when he saw some moons of Jupiter, which rotated around Jupiter. And so if Jupiter has moons and Earth has a moon, they must do the same thing. That was kind of his logic there. Uh, Newton, uh, with gravity, kind of said, yo, if gravity, you know, keeps things in place, we can be on a globe. It does work. And so there were, there were a bunch of scientists and just thinkers during the, the Age of Enlightenment who were just, you know, proving we were on a globe. One of these in, in the bottom corner was a beautiful man named Johannes Kepler. And here's where I'm going to take my first little um, segue. And I'm introducing a new segment to this show. Do you want to guess what it says, Han? Uh, is it flat around? Nope, like it is a kind of thing. It is a historical murder mystery. Oh, <laughs> that's good. So I am going to present to you a case which ended up in a historical murder mystery, and you guys can decide who was the suspect who killed him. Uh, and do, do we get to like play characters? Can we like dress up as people? Can I be like a Bavarian duke of some sort? <laughs> I, feel I mean, there, that character. I will say there's an elk involved and there is a midget jester involved, and um, you can find out who gets to be who. I, I mean, look, in, in today's in today's Hollywood, neither of us could play a midget jester, so I mean, I don't think we we, we should touch that role. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Well, so it all starts with this beautiful man here. Um, his name was Tycho Brahe, and he is the most interesting man who lived in like the 15th century, in my opinion. Have either of you heard of Tycho Brahe? I've heard that name, but I forget yeah. what he's known for. If you say uh, it, I'm probably going to remember. I, I have heard of him, and I saw a statue of him, or a bust of him in Copenhagen last year. Um, so he, yeah, he, so he, he was from like, the Kingdom of Denmark back then, and... Mm. Um, uh, yeah, he was like another astronomer, like Kepler. Um, yes. I mean, his discoveries aren't really important. Like, what's important, and what you can kind of tell from this portrait we're looking at right now, is that um, that's not his, his original nose, shall we say. <laughs> um, so, if I remember correctly, he got into, like, a dispute with his cousin, or, like, a distant relative of some sort, or maybe, like, a mathematician, and uh, there, there, there was a fight... And uh, he got his nose uh, chopped off, and he had to get like a replacement made out of 
some metal, maybe it was silver or, or bronze or brass. He had a bronze nose bronze. and a copper nose, but he also had a silver and gold one for special occasions. Oh, so I was right wow. at all of my answers. That's great. Okay, yes, that's great. It is. I, 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 I was just reaching out in the dark, but I, no, I actually just had way more. No, I, I do wonder. I do wonder if we, if if he's got different kinds of noses. Do you think he actually has like? Are they all the same shape, or does he have the more slender, pointy nose for a specific occasion, and then sometimes he just pulls out the big steel noggin? Yeah, the Venetian like a uh, mask. <laughs> exactly. <you know>? Yeah. <laughs> what shall it be tonight, sir? The Venetian. Very good. Very good. Well, uh, I'm going hunting for truffles this evening, so I better get the best one. Just a, yes. the, the prime sniffer. <laughs> yes, I would yeah. like a very long nose to stick in somebody else's business because I'm going to a party. So, well, I will say to some extent, him losing his nose in a duel at age 20. Um, this was the duel was because uh, he and a fellow student of uh, his, they both 20, disagreed over who was better at math. And so that resulted in this. Why, why not just do a mathathon or something instead of like duel? Duel is the way to go. Duel is the way to go. That's how we solve all great mathematical problems in this world. Yeah, oh and I mean, God. like back then, it was like a mark of honor to have, you know, like the same. I think, like you know, in the German you know, kingdoms back then as well, like, to have like a scar from a duel was like a serious badge of honor. I mean, to lose your entire nose, <laughs> that 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 was a pretty boss move, you know. Fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. Arguably. To some extent, his nose, losing his nose in a duel, is maybe like the fourth most interesting thing about him. So he was born um, into a, like an influential Danish noble family, the Brahe noble family. He was oldest of 12 children, and he was also a twin, which is kind of cool. Except that the twin died really young, and his first published piece of work was a, an ode to the, in Latin written to this kid, which is kind of you know interesting side fact. However, at age two, depending on the source, and I say depending on the source very strongly, he was either taken away or stolen by his childless uncle, Jorgen Brahe, um, because he wanted a child. And his parents were completely fine with it. And uh, he was too, I guess. Was he, was he that bad of a kid? I, I don't know. But anyways, Uncle Brahe quite liked the kid. And, you know, uh, he made him his heir. You know, he, he showed him his way in life. However, Uncle Brahe... Um, I'm calling him Uncle Brian now. It sounds cooler. He became a national hero of Denmark in 1564 because he was a vice admiral of the fleet. He did some cool stuff. And that meant he got to spend a lot of time the king of Denmark, the Danish king, Frederick II. So uh, one night in 1965, uh, they were out drinking, as the story goes. And um, the Danish king, Frederick II, fell into the Copenhagen Canal. You know, as a good, you know, loyal servant, uh, Brahe jumped in after him, Jorgen Brahe. And he caught Pneumia and died a few days later. And so that's how, uh, you know. <laughs> did the king make, did, did he save the king? Or did I think they both catch? All right, all right. Wait, uh, and it, it, does that mean whoever got um, Prince Willem Alexander out of the canal in Leiden, were, are they a national hero in the Netherlands? <laughs> Only I, if they died I, of Pneumia. No, nah, <laughs> I mean, d depending on who you ask, they're more of a criminal than a hero. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's illegal to touch the king. Or, or <laughs> exactly. Prince, so yeah, yeah. shouldn't touch him. Get out. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, it's, I thought it was a really weird thing to have like your like adoptive father die because of... Anyways. anyways, he was fine. He got a nice inheritance out of it, you know, and he went to, you know, study. He, uh, he got really good astronomy. He got really interested in that area. And he was known for having an unparalleled eye for detail and making really good observations. And he even became the first to observe a supernova, so the birth of a new star in documented history. So that's his bigger claim to fame. And, you know, he caught the eye of the king. 
King Frederick II, who his uh, uncle had uh, so graciously saved with the, his life, apparently. Um, and the king approached, and he won a Brahi to be his uh, Lord of the Heaven, uh, which is apparently a pretty cool title back then. That is um, awesome. <laughs> I wish I had that. But Tycho was not enthusiastic. Uh, to quote him, he said, I did not want to take possession of any of the castles our benevolent king so graciously offered me. I am displeased with society here, customary forms, and the whole rubbish. So he just basically wanted to leave Denmark. But the king was like, no, 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 I like you too much. Here, have some more money. So in the end, he ended up being granted around 1% of the entire Danish GDP to run his, uh, you know, private island and his castle there of astronomy. Oh, wow. I mean, he just sounds like he, he was really good at negotiating. You know, he was just <laughs> like, oh, I was like, you know, you know, I'm actually getting really good offers from the French. Um and like Denmark kind of sucks, so I mean, you gotta offer me these like six yeah. more castles. Yeah, the weather um, is awful here, man. I could go to Italy for so much more. Yeah, and the weather would be so much better there as well. Oh, Jesus, um, man. I mean, the the Medici's are falling over themselves trying to give me yeah. money. So Harold, Harold, bro, come on, you gotta, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta make it a bit worth it for me, you know? Exactly. What's in it for old Tycho? You know, I, mean, <laughs> yeah. I got no nose, but I can sniff at a deal still. You know. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, part of it was like he was fed up the social climate because he ended up marrying a commoner, and that was really unaccepted back in the time. But you know, he still got away with it because you know Tycho is different, and you know he does things a different way. Speaking about doing things a different way in his castle of astronomy, which is what I'm calling it now, but like his observatory. <laughs> Let's call it the Heaven Castle. The sky I mean, he castle. was the Lord of the Heaven, but uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, he was known to have really nice social gatherings, um, so get drunk a lot, basically. Um, and he had, and this is where the elk comes in, he had a pet elk, which was tamed. And he used to send this elk away on diplomatic missions to other noblemen. So the elk <laughs> would just be a company to other noblemen to like go hang out with them instead of Tycho Brahe. <laughs> So, which is so, pretty cool. So basically, yeah, like Tycho's elk and like Caligula's horse senator, you know, this it's, you know, there, there, there are jobs out there. If, if, and that's why they call him Tycho the Psycho. <laughs> Tycho the Psycho is good. I will say, the elk may not have been the best choice for the job. Because one night, uh, he was at another nobleman's place, and he went upstairs, he went to the banquet hall, and he got um, quite drunk on very good strong beer, according to these accounts. And tried to go back downstairs, but tripped and died. And that was the end of the elk. Oh, wow. That's such a sad ending for an elk. I and mean, this is a legitimate historical story from 500 years ago, which I may point out is quite insane. I mean, it's kind of a boss move as well. If you don't want to go somewhere yeah. and just send send a servant with an elk, be like, the great, the great Lord Tycho didn't want to hang out with you. So here's his elk and you can pet him, I guess. I mean, I'm just kind of like, it kind of depresses me that this elk is a better documented life than like 99% of my ancestors, you know? <laughs> <laughs> all, all these Irish peasants, you know, working in the fields, and this elk is just living it up and like, you know, it's a story right about him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but anyway. Takes more of the high life than most of Ireland during that time. So. <laughs> exactly, yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't fun back then, like that much. I mean, nothing lasts forever, even for a good old Tycho. So in uh, 1588, the king of Denmark, the Frederick II, died, and uh, he was replaced by his 11-year-old son, who um, did not see the value in keeping Tycho around on his amazing salary. So eventually, after some squabbles, um, 
Tycho left and was basically exiled and ended up in the employment of Rudolf II, who was the Holy Roman Emperor at the time, and became the, impor- and the imperial court astronomer in Prague, which is pretty cool. There, however, he had to deal with an annoying kid named Johannes Kepler, who wanted to be his assistant and pestered him for it a lot. <laughs> Anyways, eventually he was uh, let Johannes Kepler be his assistant, but they did not get along whatsoever because... Um, uh, Tycho was known for his own for his own heliocentric model of the universe, where you know the sun would be at the center, but the Earth kind of like no, the Earth would be. Anyways, it was a different kind of model where the sun was at the center, but the Earth kind of rotates but spins. But it still wasn't like the normal heliocentric model, which Johannes Kepler liked, but uh, uh, Tycho hated. So they actually had like a year long argument at one point where they refused to speak to each other, and they just had a terrible working relationship. Uh, a few years later, in 1601, Tycho suddenly fell over and died. And this is where the historical murder mystery comes in. Who do you think killed Tycho Brahe? And there are three possible candidates. It was the elk. Uh, uh, my, my guess is that Tycho's original nose came back to seek vengeance. <laughs> <laughs> that would be my fourth theory. I, I would think that maybe he made a weird nose with like mercury in it or something. That could have killed <laughs> and him. just ended yeah. up poisoning himself or something weird like that. I mean, he's too smart for something like that, right? Uh, there was an account. I didn't include this within the reasons he might have died, but he was apparently really into alchemy, but really bad at it. So some <laughs> think that he accidentally poisoned himself quite terribly and died from that, but it was very unconfirmed. But, yeah. Um, okay, so I'm going to say um, that he was kind of messing around a bit too much with his theories, and Rudolph II... Was kind of getting sick of his bullshit, so uh, he had he had Tycho bumped off via poisoning. That's an interesting call. Uh, actually, Rudolph II loved him. Uh, people seem to really like him, except for uh, Christopher IV, which was the the, ki- the the young king of Denmark. So that's the first theory. I'll talk about it real quick. So in the middle, you can see the young king of Denmark, uh, Christian IV. Oh um, wow! He was kind of young at this time. He would have been around eighteen, nineteen. But uh, he might have aged up a little. He was like 18, 19, a moody teenager, you know, and he still had a vengeance against Tycho. However, it emerged that um, according to historians, Tycho Brahe had been sleeping with his mother, Queen Sophie of Denmark, um, who was Christian IV's mother, which was not a great look. And Christian IV uh, was not a really cool guy about it either. And he ordered uh, Brahe's cousin, Eric Brahe, to go out and poison Brahe. This was actually the inspiration behind Hamlet, according to some historical sources. So, do we buy this one? I mean, he is a prince of Denmark, I guess. Yeah, and I mean, uh, in, in, in that in that portrait, he seems to be holding a rifle. So, I mean, and he's and he's like like eight years old in that photo. So, I mean, if he was like that at eight years old, I mean, at eighteen, probably a vengeful, vengeful king. Yeah, this yeah. this this looks like the kind of kid that that burns little animals. Yep, he Pe- yeah. peels the wings off flies. Exactly. Kind of yeah. Yeah. The second suspect is our good friend Johannes Kepler, who there's legit historical hypothesis that he murdered Brahe, poisoning him, uh, mainly because right after his death, um, because uh, uh, because Brahe's wife was a commoner, there wasn't a good establishing of uh, like a good established heir. So Johannes Kepler was able to take all his scientific findings and use them for his own theories, which uh, Brahe never allowed. And Johannes Kepler also got Brahe's old job, 
his old position, his old salary, and everything. Mm. According to a quote by Kepler, he wrote, I confess that when Tycho died, I quickly took advantage of the lack of circumspection of heirs by taking the observations under my care, or perhaps usurping them. I mean, it's all pretty convenient for old Johannes just swooping in. Absolutely. Mm. I mean, the, the, the age-old question, cui bono, like who benefits, would definitely point to Kepler. Yeah. So the third one is just his natural cause of death. Do you want to guess how this guy died? Mm, heart attack. Um, I'm going to say uh, indigestion from <laughs> eating too much rich food. Dysentery. It's, it's worse than that. Oh, so God. according to Kepler, who his first-hand account survived this, Brahe um, was at a big banquet hosted by uh, Rudolf II, and he really needed to go relieve himself. However, Brahe um, refused to do so because he thought it would be a breach of etiquette. When he got home later that evening, very late, he found himself unable to relieve himself and in, excruci- in an excruciating pain. And within a few days, he was dead. This is one of my greatest fears, by the way, just being so self-conscious to not like do something like go to the washroom and then dying from it or something. Well, I, mean, I mean, he could go to the washroom when he got home, right? No, apparently his body couldn't let him anymore. I'm, I'm pretty sure that must have... I mean, isn't that just, like, cancer? <laughs> I mean... Probably, I so. <laughs> right? I mean, it's not like... He, the, the social pressure of not being able to piss is going to make you permanently unable to piss. Uh, and he wrote in his deathbed, he lay dying, and he apparently wrote his own epitaph and wrote, he lived like a sage, but died like a fool. And that is the mm. story of the great Tycho Brahe. I mean, it also sounds like like one of those things. Like, I, I definitely remember my mother warning me as a kid, like when I when I you know like holding it in and not going to the bathroom, and her like saying like, "You'll do damage to yourself if you do that." It's like the classic. It's like say your eyes will go square from sitting yeah. too close to the television. It's like a mother's warning, just like coming true for poor Tycho Brahe. I I'm pretty sure poor Tycho Brahe just had some underlying disease, but. Yeah, poor guy. He was exhumed twice. Why? Uh, They wanted to see what his nose was made of for the first two times. (laughs) (laughs) A big old, like a big old collection of them that was just lying around. They wanted to check. Apparently, he was buried with one of them in him, and they were like, "Are you sure it's copper or is it gold?" And they really wanted to check. (laughs) And and also, that they wanted to prove that his actual name was Hans Sprungfeld. Um, (laughs) And yeah, they had to exhume the body. So. I mean, they did also take some mercury tests where they found mercury within his magnificent beard hairs, but uh, uh, they they thought maybe not enough to kill him. So yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, we we, we, did, we didn't comment on his facial hair actually. He has, or what he had, uh, a cracking mustache. I mean, kind of oh, just indeed. like a, a, a oh, droopy yeah. walrus kind of situation. <laughs> that um, yeah. yeah, it's 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 credit to him. I mean, this picture of him right here, he's just got such an egghead. It's insane. Like that is the most Are you insulting the Danish here? <laughs> no, I mean, you know Egghead is a positive designation. He's just a very smart dude. It shows. Yeah. Anyways, I'm sad his theories of the universe didn't live on because it would have been much better for Flat Earth. And, I mean, we are talking about Flat Earth, even though we spent 40 minutes avoiding the subject at this point. So, <laughs> so back to Flat Earth. So, you could prove it via science and these scientists, but 
The weird thing about flat Earth is that there's no good experiment you can do in your home which proves that the Earth is round. It requires a massive laboratory. However, you can take a trip and travel, and that could prove the world is round. So, you know, one of the first to take uh, the voyage around the world was Mag Magellan uh, from, I think, Portugal. He took a nice little trip around the world. It took him three years to do so. He didn't even make it back. And people are like, yeah, so he went around the world. Seems like the world is round. Right, guys? You would think so. You'd think so, yeah. Well, I mean, if you draw on a flat Earth map, you can totally do the voyage without <laughs> having to go around yeah, the world, right? <laughs> that doesn't prove, because if there's an east-west voyage around the world, the different question is, what about a north-south voyage around the globe? So where you start at, like, let's say, let's say England or so, and you go all the way down to Antarctica and then back up again and all the way around. How many times do you think that's been done in history? Airplanes, maybe. I, I mean, I, I, I guess trying to get over the entirety of Antarctica would be. But you can kind of like uh, you kind of like curve around it. I think that's allowed. If yeah. You do that. Yeah. I, I mean, can... I, I I feel like yeah, in the history books is always east west. They kind of talk about with like circumnavigation, and I feel like in general that's kind of what people try to do. So, yeah, maybe as Han said, like it was someone flying. Has been yeah. done it a couple of times, but uh, I, I, I don't think I don't know if anyone's ever actually sailed that kind of way. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's impossible to do that voyage by sail because you're just going to freeze. You're not going to make it through the sea without. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, we have icebreakers. It's insane to me. That yeah, we we do now. We do now. But, but I mean, even today, though, even today, I don't think this voyage has ever been made. A complete north-south circumnavigation of the globe. Half of it has been made from like north to south. But never the entire thing. Crazy. Which is kind of suspicious, would you not say? <laughs> like if it, it's exact, it's the only type of voyage you can't do on a flat Earth map. It's also really cold. That's my that's my theories. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think like you know Shackleton and all the boys in the endurance back in the day getting stuck in the ice. I mean, it, it, it was pretty difficult. So pirates. Fucked over by trying to sail too close to the ice. So I guess a, a good sailor wouldn't wouldn't risk it. Yeah, perhaps. Um, I mean, talking about ice and getting stuck in ice. One of the great explorers, Captain Cook. Um, when do you think Antarctica was first, you know, laid eyes upon? Hmm. Um, I think it was like this. I want to say like seventeen, like the first half of the seventeen hundreds. I'm pretty sure. So I, I, I think that there's connection. Is it Van Bellinghausen? I think might have been it was it was some like Prussian guy, I think was the first person to spot it, like first European. That's somewhere invaded the back of my mind because I think there's there's some connection with my my hometown of Cork, um, to this. But um, mm -hmm. I I would need to research it actually before I I make any loose claims. Well, the more the main point you're saying is I think. The, the Captain Cook voyage was the first expedition to get near um, near Antarctica in the history of like humanity, basically. 1775 was when that happened. Mm -hmm. The first man to step onto the Antarctica con continent was an American sealer in 1820. That's mighty suspicious is enough to get to the great big ice shelf. Because for all these conspiracy theorists, they think that instead of Antarctica being a continent, it's just to start a big ice wall around the entire globe, right? So for it to be discovered that late, 
I don't know. It raises some questions, don't you think? And I mean, compounding this kind of intrigue is the fact that Antarctica is governed by some really interesting treaties. So the Antarctica Treaty and stuff like that was signed during the height of the Soviet of the Cold War, with both the Soviet Union, America, UK, all the great colonialist powers and all the great conflicting powers agreeing to not conquer Antarctica to just protect it and, you know, militarily keep everybody out of it to protect its nature. Yeah, well, they kind of did that too for the North Pole. You guys did that. I mean, we technically own it to some extent, so... Yeah, I, I mean, exactly. basically, there, there are no indigenous people to enslave and no, like, you know, <laughs> no money to be made out of it. So they're like, this, this would be no fun to colonize. So, you know what, like, for once, let, let's share and be nice about it. Well, to be fair, the moon is not doesn't have people to enslave either, and they still went there and colonized it. Uh, it's got some good, like you know, minerals and stuff. So I mean, well, I guess for, for extractive purposes, it probably well, will, mm. will be worth your while to set up a base there. Well, so so does Antarctica. It's got yeah, a lot of allegedly maybe some oil, I guess. Um, well, there's got to be a lot of rare <laughs> metal. There's going to be a bunch of metals there, I guess. I mean, the North Pole is actually rife with the stuff. Yeah. Okay. So. Okay, so the Earth is flat then. Well, I mean, that's... Y- yeah. You've convinced me. <laughs> I mean, basically, all I want to say is Antarctica is just a really weird continent. We think of too little in this world uh, of ours, in this world of ours. And the flat Earth has really taken advantage of that by just asking, why do we think so little about it? Because it's the great ice wall they don't want us to go over. But, yeah. what, happens if, what happens if they actually bore through it? Good God. I don't think, I mean, they, they, the accounts, at least the older accounts, are always like, oh, you'll just meet storms and impenetrable storms and storms, basically. I'm pretty sure there's one theory that you will meet the ultimate racist country, like the ultimate Aryan paradise is beyond the wall as well. That's uh, inside the hollow earth, and that's going to be a different episode. But uh... No, is that, I mean, inside, it's, it's also, um, I'm pretty sure, it's, it's called Hyperborea. I think I mentioned it in the, in the one yeah. podcast. Yeah. Yeah, so, so I mean, depending on the flat earthers you believe in, uh, some believe that beyond the ice wall, there's more places like Earth. Uh, we're just expanding other land masses and continents, and that would mm-hmm. probably have hyperborea. Others believe Antarctica is the entry to the hollow Earth, which is a different theory altogether. Um, All right. And others believe that Antarctica is just an impenetrable wasteland, which you can't really get through. And then there's this really interesting theory. Like, if you see the little voyage of Captain Cook, you can see he took a really big detour in the Pacific Ocean to just sail around. And that was him searching for Terra Australis, or the hypothesized continent that would reside between Australia and South America, because they figured there's a big hole there. There's nothing there. So, but yeah. And uh, a la Thanos, everything has to be like perfectly balanced. Of course. So, Otherwise, the planet's going to skew. It's going to like tilt over. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, those are the big trips that I had, you know. To show you guys, I didn't think it won you over too much. But, you know, Flat Earth, you know, it was a bit of a little more, you know, people started to realize in the 1700s, in the like 1600s, 1700s, that, you know, the world was a bit globular. However, in the early to mid 1800s, the Flat Earthers began their, you know, inquisition into our modern society. And this all began with this English inventor, uh, I say inventor in, you know, brackets, named Samuel Robotham. Um, who uh, wrote with a cool acronym. He actually gave himself a nickname for writing his books. He called himself Parallax. Uh, Parallax? Oh, my nice. God. Like, like the Green Lantern villain. 
I yeah, guess so. Yeah, like parallax scrolling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it was it was a cool nickname he gave himself. It um, looks pretty. I mean, it looks pretty intimidating in that picture too. He's just yeah, glaring, uh, glaring heavily. He, uh, he I, okay. To be honest, I don't think he was a good person, and I don't want to spoil his character. But uh, apparently, he was involved in several uh, death by misadventure cases, including where he allegedly poisoned one of his own children accidentally. Death is that death by misadventure? I think she was murder. having some kind of adventure there, but <laughs> <laughs> come on, boy, we're going for an adventure. You could drink vile A or vile B. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so I've got to test the the survive the survival instincts of a three year old kid. Uh, anyways, he he uh, ended up publishing uh, under the pseudonym Parallax. He published Zeletic Astronomy: The Earth, Not a Globe. Uh, really nicely titled book. And the main crux of his argument about why the Earth was flat was this experiment he uh, made up, uh, a piece of proof he discovered called the Bedford Level Experiment. So he figured that, you know, you know how the Earth is supposed to curve, right? So let's say you go in the famous Bedford Canal in England, which was a really long straight canal, and you stand in it in the water and you have a telescope and you look at some guy in a boat sailing away from you and sailing away from you, and sailing away from you, eventually he's going to drop out of sight because the Earth curves. And uh, if you do the math, this should actually happen. And, you know, my man uh, my man Samuel Robotham stood in the middle of the water, took out his telescope, and he didn't see his friend disappear, and he said, voila, the Earth is flat. And that was his proof. So this was a bit of an obscure experiment for a little while. Until about 50 years later in 1870, some guy named John Hampton read the book and he was convinced that the Earth is not a globe and was like, let's let's replicate this experiment. Let's uh, put the science to the test. So he put a bet up uh, that to anybody to prove the Bedford experiment and, you know, prove it wrong. So this guy named Alfred Russell Wallace came up. Uh, he was a friend of Darwin, so somewhat of a scientist, and uh, ended up disproving him. The referee uh, said... Uh, you know, he's actually right, but uh, Hampton refused to accept, and uh, he published a pamphlet which uh, said Wallace cheated. He sued Wallace, and he ended up, after a few court cases, uh, Hampton was imprisoned for threatening to murder Wallace and LaBelle. So, I guess this is how Flat Earth goes. At but, least yeah. he stuck to his guns. Yeah. Literally. <laughs> I mean, if that was Tycho Brahe, there would have been a duel. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yes. You know, I feel like he I mean, should have... I feel like he should have challenged him to a duel. Yeah, That's like much cooler. The courts, litigation, arbitration, like it's all just so <laughs> boring. I mean, just t- t- two guys with sabers or, or two guys with pistols at dawn. Like, you know, that, 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 that's the real, that's the real living right there. I think mm-hmm. we can just, we can just turn this into a flat earth experiment too. We'll just say, all right, I'll just stand over there, like way <laughs> over there. You shoot right at me. And if it's flat, you're <laughs> I'll see you at Bedford Canal tomorrow morning, 8 a.m. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Draw it. Bring your sharpest gun. Yeah, but what do you think of the Bedford experiment, though? Because we know the Earth does curve, right? And one of the big pieces of evidence is, have you ever seen something disappear over the curve? Because apparently, if you just look at a ship sailing away, and they call this a seeking ship experiment, if you take a magnifying lens, you can always zoom it back into vision, right? So why does this happen? If the Earth, isn't, if the Earth is flat, then that should happen. But if it's curved, it shouldn't. Good question. I've never tried it. Uh, I mean, I don't know if it's like not enough distance 
are like to do with like light refracting because I know like the way yeah. when the sun sets, it actually sets either before or after you see it setting. The way mm-hmm. the light kind of refracts, kind of plays like you know an optical illusion almost. So I don't know if that's something similar, but um, yeah, I'm I, I I'm showing my complete lack of scientific knowledge here, but yeah. uh, it's something maybe to that effect. That is the scientific explanation. They call it refraction, but uh, yeah. it seems very dubious to blame that on every type of condition where you can still see the ship after so long, according to the flat earthers. Uh, because <laughs> this this refraction is almost too convenient, you would yeah, say. <laughs> exactly. I it's mean, that is their like argument. Theory, it's almost like your theory is doing its job. Uh, it's like, like, like any good theory, it should be right only fifty percent of the time. It's right every time. Okay? Exactly. Yes, yeah, so you should have built some kind of mistake. This is not fair. <laughs> yeah. But uh, people kept going to the stupid canal and tra- kept trying to do the stupid oh. experiment. Like uh, a few years later. Uh, uh, his work was preserved by some 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 lady Elizabeth Blaust, uh, Blout or Blout, yeah. She went by the nickname Zateo. Yeah. They all had cool little nicknames. That's uh, cool. God, yeah, it's, it's like an early like four chan form or something. You know? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. You, just, yeah. you can just see him going to this parlor with all these masks on to be anonymous. Like I'm Zateo. <laughs> I believe that the Earth is flat. I mean, also yeah. what I would say is like. The people in Bedford and the Bedford Canal, I mean, like if you're a business owner just trying to transport coal or whatever, and every second day there's just some new gobshite just standing in the middle of the canal with a telescope, you'd be like, Jesus, we have business to do here. Find a different area for this. It's the fifth I've run over this month. <laughs> I keep hearing yeah. weird bumps on my trips, and I just don't know if it's a rock or if it's a flat earther. Yeah, apparently, uh, I guess in a more feminist fashion, uh, Elizabeth Blout, she uh, did this experiment with some kind of white sheet where she would just take a telescope and look at a white sheet she hung up at certain angles on the canal. So I guess they had to avoid now white sheets she was hanging up at everywhere. But uh, yeah, apparently they kept doing this. In 2015, they tried it again sometime. And uh, they gave up halfway through because the weather conditions were terrible, but the boat still dis- still didn't disappear. So they considered it a victory because it disappeared in the fog. So, ah, it yeah. disappeared in the fog. So it wasn't the curvature of the earth, it was the fog, so they couldn't see it. Oh, yeah, so that, that makes me right. Mm, yeah, yeah, I mean, like... The... Clearly your theory is wrong. It should have disappeared because of something else. I mean, clearly the, the, the globalists sent the fog in to try and discredit the experiment, yeah. you know, and uh, with their weather machines. <laughs> yeah. Goddamn smoke machines everywhere. <laughs> yeah, so um, the, the, the flat earth map, so to say, the one I'm showing now, is called, it's called the new standard map of the world. This is the most accepted flat earth projection of the world. It's created by some guy named Gleason. Um, his name was Alexander Gleason in 1892. He also wrote a book, um, cool title. It's called, Is the Bible from Heaven? Is the Earth a Globe? That's the title. Yes, but just look at the size of Australia on that map. I mean, I know that, that the regular Mercator map is also off in that it kind of skews the further away you go from the center. Yeah. But this, like, that's not Australia. That's a pancake. That's a rolled out. That's like somebody went over Australia with a dough roller. <laughs> We'll talk about map projections a bit later because I have that for like the modern segment because I have three right. main things I want to talk about there. But it, it's true. The, I mean, this is basically just a modern map projection of I think the Azurial projection. Um, mm. So it's not that far off, right? 
No, no, because I know they do, like the maps do not actually, they're not accurate yeah. exactly because we're like fitting them into a square frame and it's a globe. Like you can't actually fit them on it. But yeah. still though. But yeah, I guess... so, so really, it's so really a flat earth map should be the most accurate of all, and yet we get this monstrosity. I mean, I don't think it's a monstrosity, you know? It, it, it's <laughs> Look how small Canada is. That should offend you. That should offend you. It should. We'll talk about it a little later. Uh, that's all I'll say. I'll, I'll put some suspense here because I had a few slides planned on that too, a few pictures for it. But we're not done looking for our 18th century cast of, you know, crazy flat earthers because they there were some other cool nicknames. Um, there was a guy named uh, uh, T- Thomas Winship who had a really cool nickname, Rectangle. That was his nickname. <laughs> what? Yeah. Uh, I don't know why. Call me. He just walked. I can just imagine this guy walking into the secret society and everyone's introducing themselves with these cool ass nicknames and he didn't actually think of one. So he's yeah. just looking around <laughs> frantically looking at random objects and said, oh, I'm actually, call me. Looks to the side and sees like a frame. Rectangle. I, I mean, the, the vibe I got was like that there was like a meeting beforehand and they were like pulling names out of like a hat. And he just, he, and, and his was just left to the very last. He's like, guys, who put in rectangle? That, 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 who, we're supposed to write down cool names for each other, okay? And I'm yeah. stuff with rectangle. Yeah. You, you guys, guys call yourself Parallax and Xerophon or something. And, and I got rectangle. Oh, Seriously. Come on. Yeah. But the weirdest <laughs> thing is he also wrote a book terrible title let me read you the title and tell me what part of it conflicts with his name of rectangle so he wrote uh, the zetetic cosmology or the conclusive evidence that the world is not a rotating revolving globe but a stationary plane circle right it's a circle yeah but he called himself rectangle because yeah. he's saying that, you know the earth is a circle like you know the flat earth map but why'd you call yourself a rectangle then i mean i, I also did... love old-timey book titles like they just didn't know when to stop back in the day, you know. They, they, they would just slap 90 words on the front of a book and think, that's really going to grab the reader and yeah. their attention, you know. I mean, it, it, it was like, it was giving a lot of credit to the reader that they would actually focus that long on the cover of a yeah. book. I had some wit too. I mean, this guy, Albert Smith, I have a quote of his up there. You can read in a second, Han. He went by the cool name Zetetes. Um, Zetetes, maybe. It's I don't so know. So much cooler than a rectangle. Again. <laughs> yeah. But uh, he wrote a book um, called Is the Earth a Whirling Globe as Assumed and Taught by Modern Science? That was his title, question mark title. (laughs) Do you want want to read an excerpt from his amazing masterpiece, uh, Han? I will do that. It yet remains for the Copernican School of Astronomy to prove that the Earth upon which we walk about so complacently in the country which on a fine day looks so calm and peaceful is flying through space at a total aggregate speed of something like 86,000 miles per hour. Shall we blindly believe a theory which in the nature of things is so impracticable and a theory which directly contradicts the evidences of our God-given senses? We feel no motion, we see no motion, and we hear no motion, while our senses favor the reasonable and demonstrable fact that the Earth is stationary. What do you think of his wise words? I think it makes sense. Why am I not being blown away? I feel like we should all be falling off. (laughs) Yes. Uh, yeah i mean that's the thing it's like as you said simon like up until a certain point in history everyone everyone's just gonna walk around thinking yeah of course it's of course it's flat like yeah. I mean, we're all just chilling here you know i mean, I mean are people what do people in australia do people in australia just fall off is that what you're trying to make me believe yeah so i mean it, it, it like when, when you lay it out obviously but you know 
it's like mo most most of science doesn't really make sense like physics and stuff just doesn't make yeah. sense and physicists will say that so That's, it's kind of this is the, this, this is the quote from the Exercise <laughs> just doesn't really make any sense. It doesn't. It, it doesn't make any common sense. You know, you're just kind of like, yeah. well, I can't see it, and I. And the same way, it's like, how am I spreading COVID? It's like I'm just. I can't, I can't see, see the COVID particles, <laughs> so I, I mean, it's it's not yeah. there. I mean, I, I breathe, and someone gets sick. It's like, but I'm not. I'm not giving them anything. It's like, come on, guys, so <laughs> my senses yeah. tell me otherwise. Just, I can't I'm hear just... COVID. I can't see COVID. <laughs> Look, I'm just an empiricist. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, my, my favorite book title, though, um, from all the ones I found, was from William Westfield. He ca he called it, uh, Does the Earth Rotate? No. And that was his title. <laughs> I swear to God, these people just have BuzzFeed articles for book titles. I yeah, just, he, it's... he changed it up nicely, though, because like, his, his, you know, his peers were... <laughs> posing questions, you know, as like a little bit of a teaser to get you to read the book. And he was like, you know yeah. what? I'm actually going to avoid clickbait entirely and, and just answer the question <laughs> in detail. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure the rest of the book was just white. It was empty. He kind of already <laughs> blew his load. He, he already blew his load the first, first thing you see. Yeah, it, that's a very good point. I didn't think about that. Uh, yeah. My least favorite person from the early Flat Earthers uh, was this guy named Wilbur Glenn Voliva. Does he look like a certain American politician to you? Just off the bat, I saw this immediately. Mm. Yeah, he does look. Especially there's like three photos here, and the third one he looks quite Trumpian. I I I I, I, I would say. Well, does he look like Diefenbaker? He looks a bit like uh like Ted Cruz in my opinion. Oh, he does! Oh my oh, god! Oh, actually, yeah. That's oh, he also... actually looks way more like Ted Cruz. Holy I don't. Shit. I couldn't get it out of my head until he grew that beard. But you know, the clean-shaven Ted Cruz. So he does have that, that, that porky, podgy little face. He does have. Yeah, it. and that haircut too. <laughs> uh, but anyway, this Ted Cruz look-alike, my man Wilbur Glenn Voliva. He was an American evangelist, of course, um, and. He was an avid flat earther, mainly on his religious merits. So he believed, you know, the God-given senses aren't going to prove me wrong. It has to be a flat earth. So his claim to fame was more that he became part of this church called the Christian Catholic Apostolic Church. And this church was really big in a small town in Illinois called Zion. Um, eventually, <laughs> he became like a minister there and he became leader of that uh, church. And that church got so much influence over the town, he technically became head of the town of Zion, and he was known by a title of General Overseer. Can you see where this is going? I, I get kind of keep going. I mean, well, his, I mean, it's getting very culty. Yeah. Very culty. And um, his idea was to create a flat earth utopian society within this town, where all the everybody knew and lived by the ideals of flat earth. What is the ideal of flat earth? Basically, you teach kids flat earth in school. Right. To, to spread so their ideas all over the globe. Exactly. So, so I, I guess he is an evangelist, so that makes sense. Like the ideology is just to make everyone believe what you believe. But the issue of being an evangelist is that, um, and taking over a small town, basically, is that you start to ban things which people like. So he started banning alcohol, dancing, smoking, just Football. fun in general. Just reminded him too much of the flat, the round exactly. earth theory. And in 1909, they were like, okay, it's election season. Maybe we want actually a real government in place. So the good people of Illinois, of, of Zion, Illinois, had an election and this guy lost. Uh, his party was out of power. 
So you said some Trumpian thing there, Dan. He refused to give up power. Uh, <laughs> do you want to uh, read his quote uh, to, the, uh, to the audience? He's a quote from May 1909 when he first lost election, but uh, he did not uh, give up power. So, uh, yeah, this is him in yeah, May 1909. We are fighting for the right and for religion, and we do not intend that these men shall gain control of the city through illegal voting. The old city officials are re-elected and must be given the offices. I've hired two big attorneys to prosecute those who perpetrated these election frauds. I mean business. Very Trumpian. Mm-hmm. Here's the second one. Yes, and this was by the Detroit Free Press, the second one. Also May 1909, just talking about the situation in Zion. Zion City is trembling on the verge of riot. The city hall there is filled with heavily armed policemen, supporters of Oliva, while the independent or anti-Voliva faction insists that it will seat its new its newly elected officers. How do you think this ended up? Uh, well, they probably got a bit rowdy, didn't they? That's a good way of putting it. It turned out <laughs> to be a 300-man fist fight <laughs> in oh. by the courthouse. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not bad. There were apparently <clears throat> hundreds of injuries, and uh, Voliva uh, was rousted out of town. However, um, one Voliva uh, supporter, the the chief constable, the police chief, uh, called A.K. Walker or A.H. 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 Walker, A. Walker. I'm going to say A. Walker. A. Ah, e. Walker. Walker. Yes, uh, I can't. <laughs> he was the biggest Voliva supporter. He blockaded himself in the county jail with two years worth of food, water, ammunition, and a willingness to fight people off. So, um, yeah. So, so flatter meets doomsday prepper. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now that exactly. is more American than apple pie. However, this story doesn't end here. It gets more American. So Voliva uh, was back within a year. Apparently, uh, his uh, church had significant money, and the town was in significant debt after um, his r- rambunctious spending. So he literally bought the entire town on a one thousand one hundred year lease, and he basically installed himself a as a dictator. One thousand one hundred, wait, a one a one thousand year lease. Yep. Apparently, you could do that if you had money. Oh my god! And when he became basically the the like ultimate overseer of the town, he. He went full flat earth. Apparently, they started teaching his curriculum in every school, enforced everywhere. He also like stripped down on fun even more. People weren't allowed to wear bathing suits anymore. He had an 800-person Zion guard <laughs> who carried Bibles in their gun holsters to enforce his law. <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, and I mean, like this, it's like, you know, the religious police that uh, the American right would warn you about in the Middle East. Um... Uh, yeah. I, I mean, it's 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 pretty it's pretty spectacular. Like, uh, I wonder yeah. actually when he was like running out of town, if he stood in the middle of Zion with a telescope, would you see him disappear <laughs> over the horizon? Um, I mean, it is Illinois. It's pretty flat there. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty flat place. You know, the, the Great Plains and all that. Like, so, um, yeah. Uh, I mean, that. I mean, what 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 was the federal government doing? Were like the state of Illinois slash like I don't know who's president in nineteen ninety Taft or someone? I mean, were they just like. Yeah, this is town in Illinois that's like being run like as a dictatorship, but like you know, it's not causing us any problems. Well, I think so. I honestly. guess they had bigger fish to fry at that point, maybe. And it was also kind of like Depression era, kind of. So if somebody's willing to buy a town, well, I mean, when did you buy the town? Because nineteen nine is before that, of course. I think it was nineteen ten or so. But anyways, 
to, to spoil the story, he remained in power till like 1934-ish, oh. uh, when the people had enough. And they voted in a new school board, apparently, who cracked down on his uh, flat earth teachings. And it kind of unraveled from there on. And he ended up leaving and going to spend the rest of his days in Florida, like our uh, former President Trump. Of course he did. So, <laughs> but what I'm wondering is, whatever happened to that 1,100-year lease? I don't know. Yeah, did they just rip up the contract and say, no, get out of here? I guess, yeah. I mean... Fuck off. I'm kind of curious, because I know the... Um... The Guinness um, Brewery in Dublin, uh, there, yeah. there, there's a 900-year lease on that uh, building. And uh, mm. I'm just kind of like, what? Like, did it just like pluck a number out of the air? <laughs> Were they just like, let's just pick like a big-ass number. So like just 1,100. Uh, or maybe there's some like biblical significance to number 1,100. I don't know in this case. But um, yeah, it just feels like very just um, like a publicity stunt. More than anything else. Exactly. I mean, with with Hong Kong, with the ninety nine year lease, yeah, it kind exactly. of still had a logical endpoint. But it, I mean, that does feel like I'm, I'm, I don't want to deal with this now. We're gonna like we're gonna let the next generation deal with this. But this is not even that. I mean, yeah. Ireland might not even exist by that point. Illinois might not exist by that point anymore. We don't know. Yeah, nine hundred I mean, years is a long, long time. I mean, the chief constable should have locked himself up with eleven hundred years worth of food. <laughs> To see it through to the end of the lease. If he, he, just comes, he just comes out like that ground knight from uh, from third uh, Indiana Jones movie. Yeah, exactly. Or, or, like, or like Fry in Futurama, you know, just like emerging yeah. in the year 3000, just like... Except he's a, religi- except he's a religious loony. Exactly, yeah. yeah. A, Bible. a religious Ted Cruz, you know. Ah, thank God. They've, finally been able, they've probably finally proved the Earth to be flat. Yeah. I mean, and this kind of is where like 1930s this is kind of where like the flat earth kind of dries up and you know flat earth kind of stayed pretty subdued until the internet became a thing and uh, people especially around 2014 2015 it started spreading a lot more because they figured youtube was a great place to do so um so i have a few things that modern flat earthers will love to point out i'll just quickly run through them as a final proofs and then we'll start wrapping up because we've been going for a little while right now anyways the first uh, little uh, Thing that we should talk about is uh planes so um certain flight routes don't exist which should exist and certain flight routes do exist which shouldn't exist so let's say uh you have a plane and you're trying to fly from australia to south america what's the quickest route well i mean apparently over antarctica if yeah you're, if you're... i mean if you believe in a globular earth that's the quickest route mm-hmm. right but it never happens. There are no flights that really go over to Antarctic and content whatsoever. Oh no, what a shocker. Okay. And is so that like, like the airspace is like not like just controlled by any country, so there's no like way of like monitoring it? Is that why? Um, officially, officially the reason for this that I found out is that New Zealand had a flight, which uh, this is a really weird story too, which uh, was a sightseeing jumbo jet flight over antarctica well, that's <laughs> pretty cool they ended up running into a hill which was larger than they fought and killing everybody on board oh that's less cool <laughs> yeah but the whole idea was like a sightseeing jumbo jet over antarctica but that uh, is awesome i would like to be and they're that. like since they crashed in the middle of nowhere we're no longer sending stuff out over antarctica but well, I... there's a second reason as well because because if you look at it like like this picture which is a round 
picture with Antarctica in the middle for the uh, for the listeners with Australia with Australia and New Zealand on the bottom and then all these lines going over Antarctica and South America and, and South Africa but the thing is that this distance is pretty pretty long so the question is first of all can we actually make that on a single tank and second of all who's going from New Zealand to to just South America like there's not that many people going on that route it's not really popular is it yeah that that would have been my rebuttal too because but then again, it's it's kind of unhandy if you, I mean, you got to fly from like New Zealand to like the UK and then from UK to LA and then from LA to Brazil. That's such a detour. You'd think there'd be at least one like token flight, right? Well, I mean, no, because flying, like flight companies are, are money hungry bastards. I guess so. Yeah. But I mean, I, I guess in, in general around the world, like flight routes are often a bit weird and kind of more circuitous than you would think. Like, I feel like. They're not not every flight is just a straight line, you know. There there are a, a lot of weird kind of flight patterns out there that uh, I I I guess like, well I guess in Europe less so, but um yeah if you're if you're traveling like intercontinentally, you probably would would notice that there are some weird kind of strange flight yeah. paths for different reasons. So I mean uh, that that would be my rebuttal. There are a few that flat earthers really love to point out. So first is the Johannesburg to Perth route, which um despite there being an island in the middle, I forget which one. They always go to Dubai first and then to Perth. However, if you lay this out on a flat earth projection, it's almost a straight line. Coincidence? Yes. Uh, I mean, to, well, it's the Seychelles, I guess, chilling yeah. in between. Um, I think that was the one. Uh, I mean, I, I don't think for a Johannesburg to Perth flight to Seychelles would have the pride of means <laughs> no. for it. I mean, it's like... The- bunch of islands in the middle of the Indian yeah. Ocean. There, yeah. There's a very good reason that there's just a, a lot of flights go through Dubai, Kathmandu, all that. Mm. No, not Kathmandu, but, but what about those places. the England to Texas flights or like any flight from Europe to uh, like America? You always end up crossing through part of Quebec on the way there, if you've ever noticed. I've not ever. Well, actually, I've been to Texas, but I didn't uh, know. Well, when I went to Canada, I flew via Reykjavik. Because it was cheaper, so uh, I'm not, I'm not the right person to ask um, in this yeah. situation. So. There's always like a portion where you're randomly over Quebec, and right. why is that when you could just fly straight to like Texas? And the reason is if you put it on a flatter projection, a straight flight from like England to Texas goes right over Quebec. No other explanation for that. Hmm. Suspicious. 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 Yeah. Also, I was talking to you this, this somewhat jokingly earlier, Han, but they always said when hot air balloons were invented, they're like, people will be blown away. This will prove the Earth is flat because if you put the hot air balloon up and the Earth is spinning, the hot air balloon will stay in place while the Earth spins away. Yeah. This didn't happen for some reason, which is why the Earth is flat. Similarly, uh, when you have a plane and it flies against like the curve, the turning of the Earth, and with the turning of the Earth, so east-west versus west-east, both flights take the same time. Why is that? When apparently the Earth is spinning at eighteen thousand miles per hour. I, I forget what they are. I forget what it's called, but there's a scientific reason for it, which I do. I, I know this one, but I don't know it. I, re, I remember it. <laughs> I'm going to say relativity. I'm just gonna, Einstein. I, you know, gravity. That's what I go for. Um, yeah, and I mean, I, I guess over the Atlantic, it, it is slightly quicker. The Gulf Stream it is slightly quicker. Back. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I, I um, but I, I'm gonna go um, 
relativity as my answer to most of these questions. <laughs> That's a good Einstein. I, I something, something Einstein is probably the reason. Physics. Yep. Yeah. But the interesting thing is that like flight maps of like World War II, like the one I'm projecting now, perfectly fit onto a flat earth projection. Nothing wrong with that. And it's, they can still be used. So I, I don't get your arguments. I mean, if the world is flat, they wouldn't use these maps, right? I also want to talk a bit about maps because one of the things that stood out to me is how wrong most of our modern maps are. If our modern maps that we know and love, like the Mercator projection, are so terribly wrong, why couldn't a flat earth map be right? That's kind of my logic. Like, for instance, if we look at the, the, the map we all know and love, right? Like, what's wrong with this map? Like, give me a few things that are wrong there right away. Uh, so Canada's way too big. Greenland's yeah. way too big. Yeah. And uh, I think Australia's too big as well, and Africa's too small. Mm-hmm. And any other things, Dan, that you think uh, might uh, be not that great? I mean, I would say that uh, Hannah's kind of covered most of them. Um, those are like the four or five complaints that, that I've heard myself previously. That, uh, yeah, your, your kind of Eurocentricity means that, uh, yeah, we're too big in this continent and then yeah africa gets kind of screwed over and then uh yeah the, the edges kind of get stretched out to a disproportionate level yeah the other thing to note is that the standard mercator projection is not centered like the the equator on this map is about three-fifths of the way down instead of mm-hmm. in the middle which is really weird don't you think uh, it just shows that there's so much nothingness below the equator like a fun fact that people might not know is that most of uh, Australia, including most of Tasmania, is closer to the equator than Rome is. Oh, wow. That's pretty crazy. I didn't know that. I thought the equator was more the second line, the top nope. line of this. That's the Tropic of uh, Cancer or Capricorn. Yeah. I forget yeah. which one. Crazy. Yeah. But it, it just goes to show for if you're really conspiratorial, you'll be like, it's because there's nothing and nothing and then the ice wall, right? Um but it is yes. kind of mind-blowing. Yeah. Well, I mean, the ice wall is also on the top, so... Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just, just to give an example of the size of the continents, this is what the, the map up... I threw up a map up for those uh, listening of just the sizes that they project on the Mercator projection and the reality in, like, physical landmass. And, I mean, if you guys want to make any observations, uh, Greenland is looking pretty tiny. <laughs> Russia is also just not looking good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Europe is doing pretty. The Netherlands is doing pretty good. I think. I think we're. we're I think this this makes us look better. I like this map more. Yeah, I, I would say like more like Southeast Asia is looking pretty solid. South Asia, um, uh, Africa got got like a bit of a raw deal. Um, yeah, de- definitely the northernmost parts like so Scandinavia, Russia, Canada, Alaska. Greenland. Canada's tiny. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they 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 are all losing a lot of mass in the uh, yeah. in the real projection. Here's a trick question: What's the second largest country on Earth by land mass? Country, not not Latin. Yeah, just country. First is a uh, uh, Russia, obviously, right? Who's, yeah. Who's second? Oof. I believe it's Canada. With all the other um, Australia. Uh, according to textbooks, it's Canada, but it's not the case. Um, technically, the, the caveat I put here is by landmass. So when countries calculate their size, they also include their territorial waters. So Canada has uh, a ton of territorial waters. So, right. and America. so technically, they're overrepresented on these charts. And technically, the second largest is actually China. 
because they have so little territorial waters. Their pure landmass itself, if you can look in this projection, you see it's actually quite mm -hmm. decently sized. That or I just read some good. Chinese propaganda, but... <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and I mean, they, they're trying their best to claim a lot of territorial waters, you know, so trying to get <laughs> I mean, they're, they're improving on that end. But... <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But I mean, in, the interesting, uh, I think I remember one thing about the Mercator, 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 Mercator map, Mercator, Mercator, let's say Mercator. the most American way, I thought, Mercator, <laughs> uh, is that it's supposed to be measurable, so you can actually put a ruler to it and, and have like a proper representation of the yeah. distance, which is why these these continents get blown out of proportion proportion because of course if you put a ruler on a map that is uh, actually supposed to be a globe then you're mm -hmm. going to have to switch around with the uh, with the thing so an actual representation of a map like this one wouldn't actually work as a naval map whereas yeah mercator does whereas the uh the flat earth map might <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah yeah, no, nah, and they've been calling for the for the Mercator map to be disbanded since like the nineteen forties from like quotes of seeing stuff like that. And if you look at Africa, like in within Africa, you can easily fit America, China, all of Europe. It's huge. And you know, the most famous supporters of the flat Earth is obviously the United Nations, which has adopted <laughs> it on their official emblem, yeah. which uh, flat That's Earthers right. love to bring up. But yeah. stupid Australia looks so fucking <laughs> odd. <laughs> I can't get over Australia. Yeah, yes. I, I never noticed Australia before on the UN logo. Yeah, no. crap it, looks. it looks it looks so it looks so drawn out. It's insane. Yeah. It's like you could. It's as oh, it's, I can't I can't get over it. I can't. It's as long as Russia. It's the same length as Russia on this map. I also love how flung off a New Zealand is. Like it just like oh, yeah. went flying. <laughs> to to be honest, to be honest, New Zealand is actually pretty far away from mm. Australia still because when I when I went to New Zealand I had to I mean New Zealand is just a fucking far away place in general it took me so going to the US was 12 was 12 hours yeah going to New Zealand was 36 hours <laughs> that's like that half your so vacation. much further like when you get into Sing when you get to Singapore you're halfway there it's insane it's so far away uh, yeah so that's basically flat earth um, one thing I will say as a challenge, if you guys want to take up this challenge, is a, find me a picture of Earth's curvature that's not from space. And it is surprisingly difficult to do. It, I tried I, I, for... I, I, thought you were, I thought you were going to say, head to Bedford Canal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Here are your tickets. Let's go tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> Daniel, here's your telescope. Han, here's your rowboat. Yeah, there we go. Oh, that, uh, the Bedford level experiment. If you guys want to take a quick few minutes, use your Google because you think like the Earth is curved, right? It's very difficult to find a good picture taken from Earth that is curved. Apparently, the rapper B.O.B. is an enthusiast uh, flat earther and his epiphany came when he mm. watched uh, Felix Baumgartner jump from space and he couldn't see the curve. Oh, yeah. So. <laughs> right. Makes yeah. Sense. I mean, I'm looking at pictures from like salt flats to try and find the curvature of the Earth because I feel like that's like a good bet. How are you gonna? How are you gonna see the curvature in a picture, though? But like you'd expect that, right? If the Earth curves at like a steady rate, you should be able to find a picture of it, right? Why? I, it curves <laughs> at a steady rate, but why would you see if? So if you're looking like this, yeah. Does it? Like, how, I don't know. I don't. Maybe maybe my my thinking isn't right, but I can't. I don't see how you can see the curvature anyway like that. 
depends on like you'd have to see something move away. There's some. There's got to be some kind of oh, movement. But, but every every kilometer, it has to curve a certain amount, like a, an inch or so. Right. So what are you supposed to see if you look yeah. at a horizon? It's supposed to curve. If you can look far enough, if you take a, enough, if you equipment that can zoom far enough beyond your peripheral vision. The globe, you know, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> that well, doesn't make any I'm... sense. A horizon is like if you've got a ball and you like just take a football or anything, just hold it like this in front of your face. If you're not moving the ball, if you don't have any reference point on it, it's just the line. Okay, uh, I, I thought it was I interesting. Mean, relativity. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> uh, that's that's a good one. That's, that's, yes. And that concludes us talking about something we don't really understand. <laughs> Very <laughs> true. Uh, yeah, yeah. What do we study again? Humanities? Well, hey, good luck. Hey, uh, I mean, look, I, I, yeah, I think it's really, yeah, it, it, it's just like our eyes just not really being up to the job either. You know, probably mm, our, yeah. like, uh, part of it might be just our brains aren't really designed to handle this. So our, our brains just like flatten out things. Maybe, maybe they edit this out because maybe this is really, really, really stupid thing to say, but, uh, <laughs> I, I also do feel like, you know, our, our eyes can also play tricks on us in the same way, like, you yeah. know, with the horizon and stuff. So, um, yeah, that, that might also play a part in it, but uh, that could also be complete yeah. horseshit. Yeah. I mean, should we start wrapping up and talking about what we think about the podcast today? Do you want to go first, Dan, as the guest? Do you want to give your thoughts, uh, your, your final opinions, anything new you've learned, and then upgrade your rating to at least a 2.5? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I found it very interesting. Um, I mean, I knew very little about it. Uh, I kind of knew about the ice walls and stuff. I kind of vaguely heard about that and some of the historical context. But uh, yeah, there, there, there are some interesting elements to it. And especially the point you made earlier about like, Antarctica being a very mysterious place that we mm-hmm. still know very little about. And I think like, you know, when we don't know much about it, you can kind of fill the gaps with some really weird shit. Yeah. And that like... You know, it's um, it, it, it it's open for mad interpretations. And I think that that that's kind of a good example of how um, yeah, when 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 science doesn't come up with an answer straight away or gives a difficult answer, people just naturally respond with uh, something a lot more um straightforward, which um can seem quite tempting, I guess. And were you at all convinced by anything I said today? <laughs> i know this is a long shot no <laughs> i mean it's a long shot it's a, it is i mean it, it definitely will get me to look into so many elements i guess of like the uh, i guess some of the flight paths and stuff because i feel like i just kind of accepted some of these things without really wondering why mm. and there probably are logical reasons to it but at least it will encourage me to um look into some elements of it a bit more to find out what the actual reason is i mean it's not really flatter but um at the same time, it, it does pose questions and it will lead me to um, knowing a bit more about the world that isn't flat earth related. Yeah, next time you're on a plane, you can't be looking out for the curve the entire time. You gotta get that window seat right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, br- br- bring a spirit level, it'll be good to go. Yeah. Uh, uh, what, what about you, Han? I, I'm hoping I work my magic at least somewhat here. Although, although I, I well, feel like my stories of Tycho Brahe was probably the, the highlight here. <laughs> absolutely absolutely i mean the, the historical nonsense about about around flat earth is, is probably more interesting than the theory itself isn't it that, that was my logic heading into this honestly yeah, yeah yeah fair enough uh i i mean i i don't think i'm more convinced i am more interested in things like antarctica and just 
it kind of re reignited my interest in world maps because I <laughs> kind of like maps and I like the fact that they don't work and the, I don't know the, the the planet is just kind of cool so the way I thought the world looked and actually functioned when I was a kid looking at these flat Mercator maps isn't actually right and representative that I, I always thought it was pretty cool that distances aren't necessarily the way they represent it yeah because i mean that last sentence you said that was what really was kind of sticking with me when i was like in the depth of this like watching the documentaries watching the youtube videos where it was like if what i believed as a child and still believe what the world looks like as a map now is not correct in any sense honestly how come it couldn't be flat to some extent right like how how can i prove that my own knowledge is true without relying on these scientists in their silver thrones or like <laughs> They're far away laboratories. Well, I mean, that gets us to the heart of every conspiracy theory, exactly. right? But and I think that's what makes this one so endearing because it's such its scope is so grand, right? Like you can't just like I was saying earlier, there's no experiment you can do which can prove the earth, the earth is really flat from like or the earth is really round from like just your bedroom, right? Mm-hmm. It's a weird yeah. uh, conundrum. Do you know the? Uh, I I I feel like you missed one one fun part though. I think you kind of skipped over it in the beginning. When you mentioned Indian uh, Hindu mythology, mm. do you know do you know how the flat Earth looks in Hindu mythology? I didn't look too much into that, but uh, go on, yeah, please so, create entertainment. So, so the, the theory the theory is essentially that the Earth is flat; it's a disc, um, which is uh, hoisted on the back of four elephants, which are standing on the back of a giant turtle. Nice. So, yeah, and there's this story where a woman was apparently once asked. Uh, so what's below the turtle? And she said something along the lines of, you can't fool me, Sonny, but it's, it, I know it's turtles all the way down. <laughs> uh, well, I guess here it's conspiracies all the way down. And that wraps up another episode for us at this beautiful podcast. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed. And if you listeners also enjoyed our brief foray into this flat world of ours please drop a like drop a subscription drop a comment asking us to see what you want to see and hear from us next and i guess make sure you don't drop off the edge exactly and don't drop off the edge (laughs) wow that's a good segue out of here well uh well thanks very much for the invite um i hope to do hollow earth next time um i'm on to complete the set um but uh no it was a pleasure and um i would love to come back and, and and cover whatever Yes, we'll we'll do that sometime. Sorry, getting tongue twisted, yeah. but good goodbye, everybody. Yeah, uh, yeah. See you next time. Right. So.